With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Dean Mackin. Dean Mackin. This is the Dean Mackin Show on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. And welcome to the program, well and truly over hump day as we uh, get closer to the weekend. And of course, only a week away from Australia Day Eve. And I get very busy and like to go out and have a bit of a party on the eve of Australia Day as a bit of a warm up to what we do on Australia Day. It is indeed a day that we intend to celebrate for the most part. And when I say we, I don't just mean us conservatives here at TNT and all of our listeners and viewers. I'm talking about Australians in general. It is a very vocal minority disproportionately amplified by the main or lamestream media who don't like Australia Day, who want the date changed, who don't even know what the date is. And of course, no date will be satisfactory. You can change it. They'll still whinge. The fact that we even have a day. They've got plenty of days. They've got a whole week. In fact, NADOC week, uh, many of those who like to complain, but I shouldn't throw that or lump that on the uh, Indigenous people, the Aboriginal people of Australia. Why do I say that? Because it is uh, inherently, um, obviously, uh, I should. Uh, it's obvious, I should say, it's most of these um, woke white individuals, those who like to frequent uh, cafes in Newtown and Glebe and those who like to push Indigenous people out of the areas that they frequent. And I've said it before, Newtown, Erskineville, Redfern, the area that I grew up had a massive um, Indigenous population living around there. Um, we all got along, we all grew up together, we all played footy together. There are hardly any to be seen in that area anymore because they've been overtaken by white people with blue and green hair who like to pretend they're on the side of the Indigenous people, but were more than happy to take their homes and price them out of the market. Into you know, in, I wouldn't say intentionally, but how could you not be aware of it? And the simple fact is, if I was to advocate or you were to advocate that we put a bunch of this new housing in that particular area, they would go off their nut. They would literally go off their nut. They are hypocrites. They are bigots of the highest order. And they will advocate for anything as long as it's nowhere near them, nowhere, nothing they have to deal with. It is absolutely incredible. We should get the entire population that votes uh, primarily Labor or especially the Greens and we should fund them. Yes, we should pay. I will advocate for us personally funding them and send them up to Alice Springs for a week and we'll send them there. They can live there for a week and uh, they can congregate with uh, those with for whom they advocate and they'll have a great old time, I would imagine. Wouldn't that be great? I'd love to see that. I would... Uh, turn the mainstream uh, TV back on if they had a reality TV show that aired that particular instance. But they won't. They're hypocrites. They're bigots. And uh, they just don't realise it. They're not smart enough to realise that they're hypocrites, which is probably um, the key ingredient for being a hypocrite, because if you were intelligent enough to uh, understand that, you wouldn't do it in the first place, would you? Uh, speaking about housing, you'll love this. The New South Wales government is working to reform, <laughs> to boost housing supply to the state. Now, the number that they would ideally love to have of homes is, you'll love this, is 1.2 million homes. Now, they have normalised us, the taxpayer. In fact, it's not even us. It's, uh, it's our great grandkids who will be paying the interest on this. So let's just go intergenerational on this. But uh, 1.2 million homes, which is about the number of migrants that they've allowed into this country without your say-so, without my say-so, into our country, 
over just the last three or four years. Now, if you take and do some basic math and uh, work out that the average house price across Australia is probably about a million dollars, about a million dollars. So if you multiply 1.2 million homes by $1 million, it is a, it's a bargain. It is only 1.2 trillion. That's with a T. That is a 13-digit number. And of course, at the uh, going interest rate, wow, that'll be something. That's about what our current debt is. So if you want to bring in about 1.2 million migrants over a couple of years and then insist that we build houses because we need an extra house number that is equivalent to the amount of people you've just brought in, um, and the government's going to pay for that. The government, that's their goal. Can you believe that is their goal? Premier Chris Min sets a target of 75,000 homes just in 2024. It won't be met. Thank God it won't be met because we can't afford it. And our planning minister, Paul Scully, has blamed the government over the crisis. Well, of course it's the government who is to blame. You brought these people in. That is why we have a housing shortage. And at one2 trillion dollars. And it's funny because they throw these numbers out there in the ABC. I'm reading this article off an ABC uh, document. Um, you know, oh, here's a plan to just build 1.2 million homes. Sounds great. We'll just pull them out of our backside, shall we? Uh, as if there is no cost to that. And this is the government building them. Do you think the government shops around and gets the best deal? Oh, it'll be a bunch of their mates doing it at uh, above, above uh, going prices. One might imagine it's typically how it works. I mean, you have a look at a submarine, work out what we're paying for it, get an itemised account of the parts, uh, whack in some labour, some design, and you tell me how you can justify billions of dollars for a boat that goes underwater. Good luck with that. Um, you just won't do it. And it's like that movie Contact, where the rich billionaire has to design this uh, thing to hurtle uh, the the well, the woman in it, Jodie Foster, uh, into outer space. And of course, the first one blows up, but he overcharged the government so much, he built a spare one for himself. And that's very much how it works. Although I would suggest it's not double, it's probably quadruple up to 10 times what it actually costs them to build things uh, that are supplied to the military. And it's all free money. The taxpayer will do that and they don't seem to care. But yeah, $1.2 trillion, double your deficit, just so you can house a bunch of people who you didn't ask for, who you don't want. And of course, they will have a, a, a referendum, ask you a bunch of things that pertain to uh, helping the government itself and to only uh, about 3.5% of the population. And even that's not proven. Uh, a, lot, a lot of those people would be uh, pretenders, uh, but certainly plenty of uh, time to go and ask other questions, but not to ask the questions that count because they already know the answer. They already know the answer and it is absolutely horrific. I was going to have Australia Day off next week, but I'm going to come back from my holidays a week early because I do want to uh, be here for Australia Day. So I will be here next Friday because um, it's one of those days we're going to celebrate. We're going we're gonna to really get into it and make it very positive. The one thing I will miss was doing commercial talkback radio and having all of the people, and I would answer the phones myself rather than get the producer to do it on Australia Day because you would inevitably get one in 10 people ringing up who wanted to trash Australia Day. And I not only would I refuse to put them to air, I'd have a good old chat with them off air and a chat that I couldn't have had on air. Um, I may have used that word, you know, the word, yeah, off and um, because I'm not going to allow people to ruin it just for their own uh, woke purposes. I just think it's absolutely ridiculous. I was going to talk about other things, but uh, that's taken me well and truly past my time limit. Uh, so why not give TNT Radio Vision a follow? Uh, we are on all of the major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab and Getter. Help us to get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time here at TNT. 
keeping the commitment. I love you guys. Unbelievable. 24-7. Listen to you every day, have for years. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Yes, it's at this time that we switch to Gemma Cooper. Isn't it wonderful, Gemma, that our kids and our great-grandkids will have the opportunity to pay interest on on some housing to uh, to house people that we didn't want here in the first place, that we didn't allow and didn't advocate for. But the government seems to do what the government wants to do, despite the fact that it was my understanding as a child that the government was there to represent the will of the people, and uh, somehow that is no longer the case. Well, I think that was uh, that's the understanding right across the world, isn't it? I think we were all raised to believe that those in authority had our best interests at heart. But uh, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> global policies of the last few years have shown that's not the case at all, and uh, more and more people are, are calling it out, like like your good self, like many people on on TNT. I'm always just astounded when you come in and do your editorial, uh, and then I follow with a, with a news update. How the parallels and how we how great minds really do think alike. Because we talked about Rishi Sunak's Rwanda bill earlier in the week, where you very generously offered to get your pilot's license back and start, <laughs> you know, flying the planes from the UK to Rwanda with people that have come into this country on the small boats. That's the whole point of the scheme: is to is to say we're not going to deal with you. We'll fly you to the Central African country. They'll deal with you, and they might well send you home. Um, because that bill yesterday has now been voted through the Commons. There was a, a mumblings of a Tory rebellion, people saying it wasn't tough enough. In the end, only 11 MPs voted against it. So it's gone through. We had 320 votes as a yes and 276 as a no. And it will now go to the House of Lords um, where it's going to face another grilling, uh, whether or not it goes through uh, before the general election, because it's been a massive hot topic. Uh, we'll see. So it's gone through. But on the day it's gone through or just a few hours after it's gone through, a story has emerged here, which totally backs up. Well, what you've just said in Australia, um, and that is that the government, you know, is pledged to close down all these hotels, which are housing people that have come in on these small boats across the channel. It's pledged to close them all down and put them into less expensive accommodation, like um, uh, former RAF bases, um, at the, the Bibby Stockholm barge, which is a ship moored off the south coast of England. It's pledged to clamp down on this huge amount of taxpayers' money, which is funding all of this. Um, and it's said, it said, we've closed 50 hotels, we've closed 50 hotels. Well, one mainstream outlet here is reporting, yeah, they might have closed hotels and they're simply bussing dozens and dozens of, of, ref, of asylum seekers to other hotels down the road. So they're literally kicking the can, you know, down the road. So there's reports of a one hotel in the Midlands um, where uh, refugees were, asylum seekers were bundled out, put onto a coach. All the residents thought, right, that hotel is, is, is now going to be back to a hotel. Um, and 70 miles down the road, they just put them in to another hotel, all funded, by the taxpayer, our money. So it's kind of a PR exercise, what they're what they're doing. They obviously don't know what to do with this problem, but it's the same as you guys. We're the ones funding it. Uh, so uh, the one, one asylum seeker has been spoken to is a 19-year-old boy who allegedly, a uh, young man, who allegedly came over from Afghanistan in, in 2022. His family worked for the Afghan government and after the Taliban takeover, he said he didn't feel safe. He didn't feel safe. And he came over on a small boat. 
Now, he's now upset because he was going to college in the original location where he was studying English and maths. He says he wants to build a new life in the UK. Who can blame him for that? Um, but he now says he's upset because he can't do English and maths. Well, if you fled the country because of the Taliban takeover, not being able to study for your GCSEs is the least of your problems. You would it's, think that he's more concerned about his remaining family back in that country with now a, a Taliban takeover where you know loads of Afghans had to flee in fear of their lives. But no, this guy's upset because he can't do his GCSEs. Well, well, there is a thing called remote learning, you know, so it doesn't it doesn't stack up, does it? It doesn't stack up. Um, so the Rwanda bill has gone through uh, whether it is enough, this Rwanda bill, because it's only they're only talking about deporting a few hundred initially. That was all Rwanda said they had room for. Um, this problem is just it's not going anywhere. There's not solving anything. And as you rightly say, in your country, you're paying for things that you didn't ask for. We're paying for things that we didn't ask for. A few years ago, a lot of people, myself included in the UK, were a lot more liberal about this issue. It was like, look, we're a tolerant nation. We're, we're, we're ourselves in the UK, a mix of different cultures. We've been invaded loads of times. You know, you've got the Danes and the Vikings, you've got the Germans, you've got the French. You know, we are a mishmash of cultures and we are tolerant. We are tolerant. But I think what's emerged is what it's costing us. At a time when we're struggling to, you know, keep up with energy prices and, and bills and, you know, and everything, all the prices have risen since the scandemic and they haven't gone back down. And our economy is very shaky. Inflation went up yesterday. And we're looking at some of the costs, you know, 50,000 to house one asylum seeker. That's what's upset people. We are a tolerant nation, but it's the money. Same as what you've just said, Dean. It's the money it's costing us for these policies that we didn't kind of vote for. And then we're trying to sort it out with the Rwanda, but it's dragging on and on and on and on. But it's a huge, it's a huge issue in the in the UK this morning, but it's gone through its first vote in the Commons. Yeah, and uh, it's something that we never asked for, that we never would have advocated for originally, tolerant or not. Uh, and where we do have cases where people are doing it hard in another country where they are in danger, I would have been happy to say you can come here for a limited amount of time. You can sign an agreement. At the end of that time, when your country is then safe again to re-enter, we will assist you in getting back there. And it would be simple as that. Um, I just don't get how we got from there to here in increments as always. And you can only be pushed so far before there is some pushback. And I think Ireland will be a very good testing ground in the in the um, uh, your part of the world to see what's going to happen in other parts of the world uh, over time. I would love to be wrong about what I predict as a result of mass migration rolling forward several more generations. I'd love to be wrong, but I suspect I'll be right. And uh, hopefully that is not the case. Uh, Gemma Cooper, thank you very much for coming on today. Of course, you'll be back next hour with Sonia Poulton and with me tomorrow here at TNT. Coming up after the break, we're going to be talking to ex-Liberal MP, now National Director of the United Australia Party and absolute legend, Craig Kelly here at TNT. Now, as we move into an election year in US politics at a time when the Western empire is under attack from within, as if an orchestrated decline is the plan, whilst at the same time, the rise of BRICS nations represents a rise of a new multipolar order. Institutions that have controlled the world are at last being questioned for their behavior and their failures. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And the truth shall set us free. Those two statements sit at opposite ends of the zeitgeist in a world that is filled with death, destruction, deceit, and a wholesale unwillingness to hold anyone in power to account, except for anyone who takes power against the ruling elite, of course. And then we have seen how that system works. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk TNT. While serving in Afghanistan, I was hit by sniper fire. 
The fighting was so intense, the medevac chopper was barely able to land. In the hospital, I was given a 5% chance to live. It's a good thing math wasn't my best subject. Today, I visit classrooms and share my story. I talk to kids about dealing with life's struggles. I tell them, with a little help and a lot of work, that you can overcome any challenge. DAV helps veterans like Adam get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. I know that some struggles are big and some are small, but they're all struggles, and you have to learn to get through them. With support from DAV, more veterans like me can live their best life. And as a new father, I have one more reason to keep on keeping on. My victory is being there for the next generation. Adam Alexander, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. A hoax about carbon dioxide in the climate has caused a global energy and economic disaster. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. And welcome back to the program. When you talk, talk about the word oxymoron, the Australian Open, it was Australian closed for Novak Djokovic. Of course, he won another game. He's got another game coming up at the Australian Open and looks like he'll probably win that again. And what a massive middle digit, the bird, that is <laughs> to the status quo. I think it's absolutely terrific. And I know my next guest will be getting a kick out of that as well. Uh, National Party Director, United Australia Party, I should say, uh, National Director, Craig Kelly joins us. G'day, Craig, how are you going? Yeah, no, great to be with you. Uh, the weather's warming up, so uh, we might get a bit of summer in it looks like. Mate, I'll tell you what, I'm, I feel like I'm getting a suntan in this room that I'm sitting in, in at the moment. I was just telling you off off air, I've got a Fujitsu air conditioner because I used to um, sponsor the Fujitsu V8 supercar racing team. So I get a good deal on Fujitsu air conditioners. At this part of the Central Coast, people don't like to install things you bought off somebody else. <laughs> so it's been sitting there for six weeks waiting for someone to uh, do that. Mate, lots to talk about. And I, I, ha I had a great laugh, that that video. I mean, it wasn't real, but it was a terrific video up there with that guy standing in front of the, the WEF and uh, telling Klaus Schwab and co to go and, you know, what themselves. And it was a lot of fun to watch, wasn't it? Not with I can't wait till the day we see that for real. Well, look, it, uh, when, when I first sort of saw it, it was very well done. It's an American comedian that's done it. And he gets up there and he's, he's backdropped himself, obviously, with a green screen and sort of thing. And, and I thought, Man, this looks real. And then what gets you in? It's what probably the majority of the world is saying. Yeah. Looking at all these clowns over there in Davos, completely up themselves, self-appointed global elites that, uh, you know, want to employ more censorship, want to take away a free competition, want to have this sort of strange mix of uh, Marxism and, uh, uh, and and communism and socialism all sort of combined with this tinge of green, uh, green extremism, out there telling all these lies again and saying, oh, trust us, trust us. This is all about rebuilding trust. So the, the whole thing, in fact, is a, a comedy show and it deserves every little bit of ridicule that it can get. Mate, it certainly does. Uh, mate, it's just absolutely nuts what's going on. I remember, I recall getting in trouble. Uh, not that you would call it getting in trouble, being on Media Watch, because you can imagine the dozens of people that watched that because um, there was a fake parody account on Twitter that suggested that um, the Anthony Albanese had us, would have us refer to people who were uh, pedophiles as minor attracted people. And because it rang so true, I, and, and I couldn't see beyond the word PAR to parody instead of party. We, we ended up on, on, on Media Watch. But, mate, yeah, when you do read something that doesn't surprise you, even if it is a parody, it's very easy to That's think true. that it's real. It really is. Yes, yeah. Well, the, guy, the guy's come back and he's, 
He's done a second one as well. I don't know if you've seen that as well. He's got his eye all black and sort of thing as though he's been beaten up by some, you know, WEF thugs sort of thing. He does the same thing again. So, look, uh, uh, he's certainly well worth following. And it's, it's good to see a bit of comedy about this because, I said, it really is a total clown show over there. Yeah, he, and at the end of that, people, by the way, he, he says, oh, by the way, just kidding, and F you, Klaus Schwab, again, if I am correct, somebody sent me an email about it. Mate, where would you like to start? Let's talk about Australia Day and what we can expect next Friday from the usual suspects. Look, this has been going on for years. We'll have the usual suspects whinging and whining sort of thing, uh, complaining about Australia Day. Look, this is, you know, this is a day that should bring us all together. Uh, you know, you look at the hardships of the, the first fleet that they went through, all of the hardships also, not just first fleet, the second fleet. I think that second fleet that came out to Australia, it was something like one in four people that embarked in England uh, were thrown overboard and died along the way. Uh, it was something like only 75% of them arrived. They arrived in appalling conditions. Uh, we know that they were lucky to survive. You know, you read some of the stories. I think one of the great stories is when uh, Captain Arthur Phillip uh, was speared by an Aboriginal over in uh, Manly Cove. Uh, and they said the spear was hanging out through his, through his shoulder. Uh, you would think something like that, that he would then you know, want this retribution for someone that threw a spear at him, but he didn't. He tried to engage in the Aboriginals, you know, peacefully. And it's, look, uh, every society has had difficulty where you've had a, uh, uh, a culture that's been there for thousands and thousands of years, uh, mixing with modern you know, European society. You know, I think for all the things that we've done wrong, I think that, uh, you know, we've set the example and we've done it better than anywhere else in the world. Yeah, mate, and of course, history, they like to uh, ignore certain aspects of history, like Captain James Cook himself died at the hands of natives um, right, elsewhere in, in the world. So, I mean, it's not like it was, they were very welcoming and it was, uh, uh, it was, uh, it was very uh, confrontational. Let's just say, mm -hmm. I, I think it was confrontational. The other thing as well that we're going to get a lot of people doing is we're seeing the backlash to Woolworths. Of course, Audi and historically Kmart has been on board with not being overly Australian, and I think the old $2 shop is the place to be uh, coming up to Australia Day uh, this year. Well, just on Woolworths here, now, it wasn't just that they uh, made this commercial decision not to stock Australia Day merchandise. And we know Woolworths, BlackRock is their biggest shareholder. Uh, Vanguard is, I think, their third biggest shareholder. Uh, they are like so many of these big corporations. They want to be woke and they want to show their wokeness. So Woolworths went out to deliberately uh, incite uh, division in this country by putting out a press release saying they were no longer going to stock Australia Day merchandise. And they wonder why they get upset that, uh, you know, people want to boycott them sort of thing. So, uh, you know, I certainly haven't been to, to Woolworths since uh, and I won't be hopefully for a, a while. Uh, it's not only that, we also know that Woolworths has put a submission in to the uh, ID, the um, digital ID bill, actually supporting it. So, you know, these, these big companies... Um, we saw it with Bud Light over in the US. Uh, the consumer ultimately rules the roost with their dollars. And I think I would, I'd just say, anyway, I agree with Peter Dutton. Uh, I don't want to spend my money uh, in a company with a company that has those type of values that Woolworths are showing. It, it, the problem being, if you go to Coles, Coles being owned by the same people that own Kmart, who have also done it, you can't win. So people then say, I'm going to go to Aldi, and Aldi's doing it Look, too. There's, there's, there's also plenty of luck, like, yeah. Uh, fruit, anyone that buys their fruit and vegetables, I know I always get my fruit and vegetables from the local a local fruit and vegetable shop, and I know they're like a fraction of the price. I'm going to give you one example the other day. Uh, the oranges I saw at uh, Coles were like, they were from in the USA, they were like $8 or $9 a kilogram for oranges. Uh, 
they were imported from the USA. The local fruit barn, they were $1.80 a kilo. Wow. Oh, that's that's the difference in price and everything. And so I, you save money if you go to the local independents. You find a local butcher, you get far better quality anyway. Uh, you know, the few things that you do need from uh, Woolworths or Coles, you've got IGA as an option. Yeah, mate, I, I agree. And that's something that we really should take personal note of, you know, look after the little guy. And you hit the nail on the head. We had a local butcher who was terrific, the best sausages, the best, you know, rissoles you can imagine, so much better than Coles or Woolies. And I made an effort to go there. I literally went out of my way to go there and always, even if I didn't need meat, I just, if I was driving past, yeah. I'd get some. And people forget that. They go with this convenience. And I think Bunnings, a perfect example of just how many little guys that they've put out of business. And people need to, when you see the little guy here in Australia, support them, go in there. It's usually fresher, better, um, nicer. And we need to remember that if you go in there and spend cash, that money is a good chance that money will literally end up possibly that same note Will end up back in your own pocket and that's something else we need to tie in with that don't just think that's a good idea actively do it actively think about it and uh, make it part of your we lifestyle we uh, Woolworth profits go offshore to groups like blackrock and vanguard like, you know, <laughs> it's where you you go and spend spend your money at the local fruit shop the guy's probably a local he probably employs a local accountant a local sign maker a local truck driver all that money stays within the local economy and spins around and keeps people employed yeah, mate, it's, uh, I, I just can't believe that even people that we know know this. You just get into that habit. Mate, and I was one of them. I was one of these people always advocating to spend cash. And then the, the cash is sitting in the safe, and there I was tapping with my phone all the time. Now I have to literally remind myself, go get like 100 bucks or 200 bucks, put it in your pocket, take it with you. And a, a bunch of places that now um, either won't accept uh, cash because, you know, they, some for uh, because they don't like to pay tax. Yeah, look, 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 and, look just, just, just on that. I think there is need for legislation in this country, certainly for, say, the basics of life, what I would call, say, a, a chemist, a takeaway food, a food stores sort of thing, um, that they, there's legislation in place that they cannot reject cash. I think that's important, that's important going forward. We certainly don't want to – we saw it happen in Canada. We certainly don't want a society where, you know, you have cash has disappeared and you've got to rely on the, that card and the government can flick a switch and uh, disconnect your card at any time from your money. So we've got to make sure that cash remains king uh, in this country to, to make sure we can't have these big governments coming in and they're using that as another hammer to put forward their authoritarian policies. And I think the way to do it, I've, I've said at some shops, you know, the same thing, like, sure, we don't accept cash. Well, if you don't accept cash, I'm not paying buying anything from there. But I think we need to go a step further to ensure places like uh, Woolworths and Coles will always accept cash. Yeah, and I would also suggest people stop being, uh, you know, if you have uh, worked hard your whole life and you never saw yourself, you know, and no disrespect to those who are, check out guys or chicks, but if you didn't see yourself being one and you've been turned into one because you go and line up and do that yourself, uh, you've only got yourself to blame. And I always, I'll wait and get someone to serve me because we're creating jobs by doing all of that, just common sense stuff that we can do ourselves personally to make a better Australia. As you have, Craig Kelly, we'll be back with you um, after this short news headline here at TNT. TNT Radio News. Huge news, 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 news. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Pakistan has fired a barrage of missiles into Iran in response to an Iranian missile strike earlier this week. 
The U.S. has carried out renewed airstrikes on Houthi sites in Yemen. The director of the World Health Organization has admitted the agency was preparing for a new coronavirus before COVID-19 arrived. And the family of an autistic woman killed by an illegal immigrant in the U.S. is now suing the Biden administration for $100 million. We're the pinup boys and poster girls for free speech. We just don't look as impressive as Vladimir Putin shirtless on a horse. Yeah. 24 7, 365. We never stop sifting fact from fiction, misinformation from the truth. From government overreach to the latest on mandates, big tech censorship to propaganda gone mad. Listen to TNT Radio and get the news and views direct from our expert presenters and commentators anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk this is TNT Radio. And welcome back to the program. We are indeed with Craig Kelly. He is National Director of the United Australia Party. And uh, we were talking about the WEF and aren't they up to some dirty tricks? Look, we saw uh, overnight, um, you know, I think it's John Kerry's daughter there giving a big speech. And she was saying that uh, 2023 was the worst year ever for uh, weather global catastrophes. And that's the reason why we've got to give more power to the WEF and more, surrender more power to them and, and close down fossil fuels. Now, the data's out. Uh, the data actually, there's a guy uh, called Roger Pilecki uh, that compiles this data. And what he does, he looks at the, uh, these are publicly available data. It's the insurance data from companies like the World Bank, uh, Munich Re, the re big insurance companies. And every year he, he plots the economic losses from extreme weather events as a percentage of GDP. Now, in 2023, it was actually one of the lowest years on record. It was less than 0.2% of weather losses as a percentage of GDP. And if you look at the trend line since 1990, it's actually getting less. So this idea that uh, 2023 was somehow this catastrophic year for uh, extreme weather events, it's not wrong, it's a lie. Yeah. And that is being out there peddled by the World Health Organization. This is mis- and disinformation you know, at, at the highest level. And they are there saying, Oh, missing disinformation. Uh, this is the worst thing we have to deal with. It. Yes, we do, because it's people like the World Health Organization, World Health uh, Organization, and the WEF that are out there peddling this disinformation, and they are using that for a power grab. And we've got to call it out. We've got to expose these people for the liars, the frauds, and the hypocrites that they are. Yeah. So I, I immediately feel like saying I can't believe people are still falling for this, but the truth is most people aren't falling for it. It is, again, this disproportionately amplified minority in the media and that would have us believe, just like they did over the last four years, it's just us, it's just you, it's just me. So I'm hoping we're going to wake up. And again, it's at the ballot box we need to see see this reflected. I mean, I noticed one of the things that you were speaking about on your Twitter feed during the week was the bloody teals. I mean, how they get elected is anybody's guess, but it's definitely a model other parties need to follow. But they're out there, mate, the Teals love to say, oh, we're this pure as, you know, driven snow, right? Their entire policy platform is based on a lie. They go to the electorate and say, vote for me, I will stop bad weather. That is, yeah. oh, I know you laugh, <laughs> but that is their platform. Yeah. A lot of people, a lot of gullible people have fallen for it, and the reason they fall for it, because every single one of those Liberal seats that the Teals won, the sitting Liberal member was playing the old game of uh, appease the crocodile hoping you won't be eaten last. Yeah. Instead of standing up and calling this BS out and going through the data and going through the science and saying, fire, 
the, the amount of area burnt every year is declining. The hot, the greatest hot weather we had was in the back in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. It's not we haven't got these extreme heat waves that we used. To, the extreme heat waves of the past were greater. You've got Arctic sea ice now at the highest level it's been in 21 years. Polar bears increasing in size. Uh, islands that are meant to be sinking increasing in size. Every one of their claims has been shown as complete and utter BS. Right? And, and you've had all these Liberal members of Parliament are frightened to say anything about it and going along for the ride, hoping that, you know, as I said, was Churchill's old saying, you know, feeding the crocodile, hoping it'll be eaten last. And they were all eaten at the last election by the Teals because they were too gutless and too frightened to stand up. The only way they, it's going to be won back, you know, by whoever it is, is if they take those Teals on and they expose them for the frauds and the misinformation that they are peddling and the fact that what they are doing is selling out the sovereignty of this nation, everything to do with the scheme of net zero, hands an economic, competitive and political advantage to the communist Chinese, and that's exactly what the Teals are doing, and they need to be called out for the treachery that they are exposing Australia to. Yeah, mate, the lies are thick and uh, coming fast when it comes to the Teals. I just can't believe that they were able, in Zali Stegall's case, for example, you know, a seat that was all, almost died in the wall, Liberal. I mean, Tony Abbott, you know, there he was. How do you go from a Tony Abbott to you a know, Zali Stegall? You know? It's even a Tony Abbott. He might win his seat on a two-party preferred basis, 60-40 two-party preferred, right? So he may get you know, sort of 55% of the primary vote and a few preferences, right? All it requires is 10% of those Liberal voters, right, the Matt Keane voters of the world, to say, oh, climate change is terrible, da, 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 right, and shift camps to the Teals, right? And what happens, the Teals come in, uh, then they get the preferences from the Greens, they get the preference from all the other independents, and they get the preference from, from Labor, and that just kicks them above the, the Liberal Party. That's how they've won all this, those seats, on the back of Labor and Green preferences. And unless the Liberal Party you know, grows a spine and wants to fight and take these people on and fight for what's best in our country rather than selling ourselves out to the communist Chinese, these teals will only increase in number. Right. It's, it is a worry, but definitely a model I think other smaller parties could learn from uh, how they canvass the community. They get out there, they do all that very early. And uh, I think if... Uh, oh, they had, a, they had a very good... I'll, I'll hand it to them. They had a very clever election campaign. They basically recruited people uh, as zealots and they basically developed this cult-like mentality. You would see these people, I saw them out in my electorate, these people, the, the lights were on but no one was home. Right? <laughs> uh, uh, these people were zealots. I found generally they were very nasty people. You know, they loved to come across as all sweetness and light, but down under, you know, when you challenge them, these were very nasty, self-centred people. Yeah, mate, it seems to be their way. And, of course, they're very well funded as well. And uh, But the business model does work. And, again, something that I think should be adopted by, uh, you know, the likes of UAP, Pauline Hanson. I, I think it would be terrific to, to see that that happen. Mate, just very quickly, uh, you know, Dr. Robert Malone, you know, the person, the one of the inventors of the mRNA yeah. vaccine, recently uh, put a thing up on Twitter. I've got it in, in front of me. Uh, and it dates back to, I think, uh, mid-2021. Uh, and just more emails that were floating about, you know, amongst the C CDC and other people, they knew. They knew this thing caused myocarditis and still they, they dragged it on. But the proof just keeps on coming, doesn't it? Look, the, the bottom line on this is Pfizer's original trials, there were more deaths in the vaccinated group than there were in the placebo group. How any product, any medical product gets to the market when there are more deaths in the, like, you know, the trial group where they're administering the drug as compared to the placebo group, it, it, it just blows my mind. 
and yet they knew this from day one, and yet they kept on going. And, and where people say, oh, I'm all surprised about the uh, all the excess deaths, we can't explain the excess deaths of 10 and 15 and 20%. That's exactly what Pfizer's trial showed would happen. There was, I think it was numbers 15 to 20% more deaths in the vaccinated group. So if you go and inject an entire population with that, you're going to expect 15 to 20% excess deaths throughout the country. And that's exactly what we've seen. Look, you know, the tide is turning on this. There's a lot of people that are going to have to spend a lot of time or, in fact, the rest of their lives behind bars for what they have done and the number of people they have killed. Mate, I pray it comes to that. I really do hope because if we don't do that, we're going to uh, be destined to repeat that whole scenario again. And there's talk of disease X and everything else out there. And, mate, they're just getting people ready for it. They're just they're warming them up, you know. Uh, Craig Kelly, out of time. Mate, absolutely love it when you come on the program, as do all of the listeners and viewers. I thank you. Have a terrific weekend. We're only one day from it. And uh, hopefully we can uh, have a chat maybe even uh, next Friday if you've got time on Australia Thanks, Dean. Love thank to you. see you next Friday on Australia yes. Day. Thanks, mate. It doesn't get much more Australian than that. The guy who literally put everything, everything on the line so he could advocate for your health, your wellness, and uh, he put you in front of himself. And they're the type of people that we need in politics and in the media. And uh, champion, yeah, bigger than him, you will not find National Director of the UAP, Craig Kelly, coming up after the break. Going to be talking to our very own producer to the stars, Jeremy Beck, right here at TNT. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. The question isn't why globalist, Democrat Party mega-donor and Epstein Islander Reid Hoffman is providing so much financial support for Nikki Haley's campaign. The question is, why is Nikki taking the money? The answer, of course, is because Nikki's uniparty. She's GOPE to her core. She's for tearing down Confederate statues and changing Confederate flags. She's for digital ID, and she's absolutely against the principles of America First. She's against shutting down foreign wars. She's against shutting down our border. She's against all the things that make America great. See, the globalists allow us to have the illusion of choice. A few window dressing differences between the parties to stimulate people to cheer for Team Red or for Team Blue. But on the issues that really matter, the financial issues that matter to them, all these politicians are all the same, regardless of whether they have an R or a D after their name. We deserve better and we need to demand better. Nikki Haley should never be allowed near the levers of power ever again. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. As a combat wounded veteran, I know how hard it is to come home and build a meaningful life. When I was in Iraq, our vehicle was hit. A rocket propelled grenade exploded right under my seat. Traumatic brain injury, a fractured pelvis, severe burns. They didn't think I was gonna make it. I had to learn to walk again and live with the scars, both visible and invisible. DAV helps veterans like LaToya get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. With DAV on my side, I was able to pursue my dreams. If my story can touch a heart, it can change a life. My victory is overcoming my wounds so I can help other veterans. LaToya Lucas, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. 
This is the Dean Mackin Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And welcome back to the program. And it's always terrific when I get to talk to one of my uh, colleagues. And this man is the man who quite often fills in for me. He's also uh, the producer of many here, including Chris Smith. He's a terrific fellow. He's also got a degree in engineering. I am, of course, talking about Jeremy Beck. G'day, Jeremy. How you going? G'day, Dean. Good to be here. Yeah, doing well. Mate, great to have you on. And I was just saying off, off air, you know, if, if they ever got an electric vehicle that would do a thousand Ks and you could charge it up in half an hour and it costs five bucks, why wouldn't you get one? The simple fact is it's not realistic to have, and to suggest that everybody could do that. Wow, we are decades away from that. And in, when I say decades away from it, by the time we would ever get to that stage where we could do that, there wouldn't be any lithium left. There wouldn't be any of the heavy metals that we need for this thing to happen and far too many people on the planet to make it viable. And of course, no secondhand market for these cars. Uh, Hyundai owner recently finding out that uh, it was going to cost them $60,000 to uh, fix their car, basically because they'd driven over some gravel. So uh, yeah. good luck with that in the EV market. It is horrific. And you, mate, let's start with the, the Tesla Model 3 and what's happening with that here. Yeah, there's been a bit of a hiccup, Dean. Uh, the Tesla has been forced to halt deliveries of its updated Highland 3 model, in Australia that is, uh, due to a compliance issue. Now, Tesla says it expects deliveries to resume within weeks, but the updated version of the Model 3, which recently began being delivered to Australian customers, doesn't have an accessible rear centre top tether point, and this is in breach of the Australian design rules. Uh, so this regards the child restraint anchorage points. Uh, now, it's unclear of um, what impact there'll be uh, to vehicles already delivered and whether there'll be a recall on those vehicles that have already been delivered. Now, Tesla could solve the problem by removing the rear middle seat belt um, and uh, basically they'd make it a four-seater rather than a five-seater, so reclassify it. Uh, now, that's what Honda has done. They made the decision to uh, reclassify the current generation HRV as a four-seater rather than a five-seater in Australia due to there being no top tether point in the rear middle seat. So it, it's a bit of an issue. Uh, the electric car fans will be disappointed that this model of Tesla won't be available. Uh, but I agree with you in terms of the... The Teslas, they do have some, or the electric cars in general, they do have some advantages like uh, zero to 100 in about four seconds. I mean, that that is fantastic. But overall, I think the disadvantages uh, well outweigh the advantages, and I'm a, a petrol car fan. And, of course, if you drive them hard, and, I mean, I've got a V8 twin-turbo Volkswagen. I mean, the thing's got 900 newton metres of torque. I love it, and I can drive that all day long, and it's still... Pretty decent mileage, you know, uh, diesel, uh, about, you know, 10 kilometres to a litre. I think that's reasonable. If you drive an electric vehicle hard out all the time, your range comes down to about a third. I love the HRV because we could call it the halve because that would be very appropriate because it would halve your resale value and, of course, halve your uh, mileage expectations as far as how far you'd have to get before you charge them. Of course, you're seeing more and more of these vehicles set out to go and recharge your vehicle if you break down. And as I said the other day, I went down to Broadway Cinema where they have some uh, charging vehicle stations, not that many, I think maybe 10, 12, I can't remember how many there were, but because it was so busy 
and there were no actual parking spots and you had to drive around. Electric vehicle owners were parking in those spots without even putting them on charge. I saw four of the however many vehicles parked in the EV parking space but without being on charge, nothing plugged into them. So unless they've developed wireless charging for cars overnight, which they haven't, um, mate, it's uh, it's a bit rude too, I think. Yeah, no, the, the whole agenda, just trying to ram these electric vehicles in as if they're doing any environmental good, which they're not, uh, is insane. So I'm not too upset that there's been a delay with this latest Tesla. Now, of course, the issue here is a, a child restraint uh, tether point. Uh, they probably will solve that problem relatively quickly. But uh, it, it's a bit of a hiccup there. But it also goes to the point of do governments have too much power in terms of do they have too many unnecessary regulations which are just holding up the, the so-called free market? Uh, now, I think government does need to step in at certain points, but at other points, they're just strangling the economy. Uh, now, in terms of electric vehicles, we have so many mandates to try and encourage them. And now it's just an irony that uh, one of the government regulations is preventing it for several weeks. Yeah, it is. I mean, I mean, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I mean, if it comes to a child safety issue, I'm all aboard. I mean, I love when the government. I mean, occasionally they do do some good things. Let's be honest. You know, mandating that your vehicle has ABS brakes, for example. And I mean, how many kids who are probably alive today who wouldn't be because they got to cross the road in front of a vehicle that had ABS brakes that otherwise wouldn't have had had they not uh, mandated that. So we do get some good technology, but yeah, sometimes they just go one bridge too far and that's quite often the case. But the people in the online chat absolutely are no fans of electric vehicles. That much is certainly true. I had, I had a mate on a few weeks ago who had one uh, as a bit of a trial vehicle while his was getting painted or whatever they were doing, a brand new car. And mate, he said, you know, it was okay, but would I get one instead? Absolutely not. And I think that seems to be the case. But mate, if too many people get these, it's uh, they're going to have to run a whole bunch of new poles and wires. Of course, we've leased out the current lot and of course, a whole new uh, uh, delivery infrastructure for power. Could you imagine have, trying to get that much power to homes and everyone drawing that much at night? And this is a future We've not coal-fired power, not nuclear power, but wind farms and solar panels. I mean, it is absolutely ludicrous. We're pushing for going one way, but we, we're going the other. It's just, it's hypocrisy and it's completely, it's lunatic fringe stuff. Yeah, it certainly is, Dean. There are so many negative points to electric cars. There's, there's a few positive points and that's why people get them. But overall, I mean, the fire danger as well. Uh, once uh, you have a fire, you can virtually you know, leave it for ages and you, you just can't put it out. It's just the, the chemicals in those batteries. You might as well just leave it burn until it finishes burning and, and then it can catch on to other cars. And if you have a car park full of them, the whole thing goes up. Um, we've seen that on ships out at yeah. sea. Yes. So uh, uh, that alone is a good reason not to want them. Uh, you know, so I, I, I think they won't catch on. I think this is just a bit of insanity of the times. Uh, you know, like we had the, remember that hydrogen balloon that uh, blew up the, the Hindenburg? The Hindenburg, yeah. Uh, you know, that, that soon put a stop to the uh, <laughs> the hydrogen-filled balloons. I think this, uh, you know, the electric vehicle might be a similar thing, a few more disasters along the lines of major fires, and we may see the end of them. 
Well, it's ironic because you said they won't catch on and I was going to jump and say they will catch on fire, but they don't actually catch on fire. What they do do is explode. It is a chemical explosion. You can sit there, you can get, you know, five fire trucks onto it. They can empty out the tanks on the fire trucks. It will not put that fire out. This thing burns itself out chemically. And uh, again, if it's, imagine that in an underground car park. Imagine that, imagine having every electric vehicle in a five-level underground car park under a 20-story multi story building and the amount of heat that would be generated on the concrete and on the metal within the concrete. Could you imagine how could that possibly go wrong? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's bound to happen one day if we continue to, you know, uptake uh, electric vehicles. Uh, now, I do have another story, Dean, which I thought was quite interesting given that we have this World Economic Forum event on right now in Davos. Uh, the Story here has been reported by the ABC, and I looked at the source document, proudtopaymore.org is the website. Now, hundreds of billionaires and multimillionaires have penned a letter calling on global leaders to fairly tax the super rich, stating that they'd be proud to pay more. Now, signatories of the letter include Disney heir Abigail Disney, granddaughter of Roy Disney, who co-founded the Walt Disney Company, and Valerie Rockefeller, who's great-great-granddaughter of the famous John D. Rockefeller, and many other noteworthy individuals. Now, in the open letter, they say to global leaders gathering at Davos, we are surprised that you have failed to answer a simple question that we have been asking for three years. When will you tax extreme wealth? If elected representatives of the world's leading economies do not take steps to address the dramatic rise of economic inequality and consequences will continue to be catastrophic for society. And the letter goes on saying, uh, not only do we want to be taxed more, but we believe that we must be taxed more. So that's the rich people talking. <laughs> uh, now, we, we would be proud to live in countries where this is expected and proud of elected leaders who build better futures. As the wealthiest members of society, we would be proud to pay more to tackle extreme inequality, proud to pay more to help reduce the cost of living for working people, proud to pay more to better educate the next generation, proud to pay more for resilient healthcare systems, et cetera, et cetera, uh, for better infrastructure, for green, for a green transition, uh, and, oh. <laughs> and more taxes uh, on our extreme wealth. Uh, now, and Jeremy, I can I just butt in and all. say one thing? Here they are saying, we'd be proud to pay more. I say to them, what's stopping you? You can donate. You can do a whole bunch of things. You don't need to be prompted by the government to do this. And if they said we'd be happy to pay 20 times more, how much tax do most of these billionaires pay? Zero. Last time I checked, 20 times zero equals, let me add it up, zero. zero. So, I mean, it's just a complete farce. If they're proud to pay more, then bloody well pay more. Easy <laughs> as that. Well, very true. And many of these billionaires, they have their money tied up in tax havens such as the Cayman Islands, and they do everything possible to avoid paying tax. Now, some of these individuals who sign this letter, well, they may, be, may not be in that category. But regardless, the point I would make is that they don't understand how wealth is created. And, and wealth is created through 
ideas and applying those ideas and technologies and advancing the economy through science and technology and power, energy, et cetera, et cetera. But they're pushing for a green transition. Now, a green transition is going to wind us back to the Stone Age. Uh, so, you know, here they are saying, you know, we, we want to pay more. Really what they, I think that they really want, many of them, is to force all the other rich people to pay more to push their idea of how the world should be, which is some green nirvana, which is just going to be a complete disaster for everyone and end up putting more people into poverty, not helping people. I agree, mate. I, I don't like our current economic system. The simple fact is for anybody that's ever played a game of Monopoly, and it doesn't take long, at the end, one person owns the lot, and that's how it happens. All these people, these multi-billionaires, and certainly uh, I, I would suggest there are a few unnamed trillionaires, certainly families that have trillions of dollars personally. Um, and I, I would suggest that we should have limits on capitalism to the point where no particular family or individual can have more than, I don't know, X amount of maybe a couple of billion dollars and then it goes back into the economy. I mean, A, what could you possibly do with that other than get up to no good and control others and buy outcomes as they do? Um, you could argue that even two billion is probably way too much. And the simple fact is, um, and I'm not advocating for any kind of communism, but I think everybody would agree that those who have 60 billion or $100 billion, um, you know, with the exception of maybe Elon Musk, who seems to be doing some good with it, um, I can't think of the others doing too much good, and I think it's too much money for one group to have, and it should be reallocated and go off to pay off our debt that they keep getting us in. And again, I'm not advocating for socialism. That's a whole, you can call that deanism if you want, uh, you know, capitalism with limits. But um, I'd love your thoughts on that yeah i'm not too sure about that dean but what i do think uh is for sure the the riches are way too rich and powerful uh, for the good of the planet i mean i i see that most of the billionaires have done an enormous amount of harm to our world uh and how, how can we deal with that problem in a way that's not going to communism and i, and I know certainly you, you're not advocating for that uh I think we need to get to back to scientific principles because what, one of the things is that a lot of people like to put you in a camp as uh, uh, you're either pro-free market or you're pro-socialism or communism, but there is a, a pathway in between, which is I see how United States built up to be the most powerful country in the world economically through the American system of political economy. And it wasn't uh, some extreme free market system actually tariffs help United States. So I, I think at some point you, you do need government intervention, but it has to be the right sort of intervention. And certainly we don't want some big oppressive government. We've seen way too much of that in the last few years. Uh, but yeah, in terms of the, the, the billionaires paying more tax, well, certainly most of them don't want to pay tax. They've got their money, as I said, in the Cayman Islands. So somehow government has to enforce those rules. If you want to ensure that those billionaires don't control everything who's going to make sure that that happens how what process would ensure that that happens yeah mate I, I couldn't agree more and it's definitely something that we need to look at going forward maybe a new type of government you know like i said government with limits but of course when, once you start talking like that people go you must be a, a socialist and of course that's ad absolutely not what i want but i will say this and again i absolutely can't stand communists, you know, for example, but have a look at the fact that China still owns China, Russia still owns Russia, and have a look at us here in Australia with half of our economy owned by them 
over in China. Not half, but you know, you, you know where I'm going with that. Just mate, very quickly, we've only got seconds to go. Uh, Novak Djokovic, of course, winning 6-4-4-6-7-6-6-3 against uh, Popperin, a massive middle digit. I'm not going to do it because I'm on video. A massive middle digit, the bird to the powers that be. Uh, he's going to be playing again on Saturday, and I can't wait to see him take this home. But what a massive FU Australia, Australian government, you know what I mean? I'm I'm very excited. I I think uh, anyone who's gone through the last few years of uh, mandates and everything will be overjoyed that we have a tennis player who's stuck the middle finger up to, <laughs> to, uh, enough to, do it. to the Australian government. Uh, it was. No. In, in fact, Jeremy, let's do it. That's to you, Australian <laughs> government. If you're watching, you will have got that. Jeremy Beck, thank you very much, my friend. We appreciate him. And, of course, we'll get him back on the program real, real soon. Everybody, uh, I'm going to take off. We've got Sonia Poulton coming up next. And she'll be joined, of course, by Gemma Cooper and others right here at TNT. I'll catch you all tomorrow.